This reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you were looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Hey, good morning. Happy Easter. Welcome to Trinity Community Church. It is so good. To be with you this morning, it's so good to have you. If this is your first time here, we're delighted to have you on Easter. And so, happy Easter. We are a church that is committed to practicing the way of Jesus together for the renewal of all things. We love God, we love one another, and we love this little corner of the earth where God has put us. And as Christians, we believe that the resurrection, which happened some 2,000 years ago, is the high point of all of human history. Everything had been building toward it, and since then, everything has flowed downstream from it. Easter is the annual celebration of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, which opens up the way to us to be restored to God himself and to enter into life with God. But now, if you, if you didn't grow up in the church, or if you're just exploring Christianity this morning, I I understand that, that the resurrection and that Easter, it's a little bit of an odd holiday weekend. You know, if you compare it to Christmas, I mean, Christmas is about a, a baby and a manger, presents, lights, cookies, you know, children singing. Uh, in the words of my fourth grader, that's easy dubs, okay? It's just beautiful holiday. But Easter weekend is a little bit different, right? Because we're celebrating a man who was was beaten and, and cursed and wrongly accused and hung up on a cross, and he died. And then 36 hours later, he got up from the grave in, in victory over invisible cosmic forces 
of evil. And so I get that it's, it's a little bit different. It's a, it's a little bit different type of holiday to enter into. And so if you're, if you're just exploring Christianity or if you're like me and you have occasional doubts and you think to yourself, did that really happen? Is, is all of this really true? I want to encourage you to, to think of it like this. Imagine one day you, you go to the mail and you, you open up the mail and there's, there's a letter for you. Very official looking letter. I mean, this is like, you know, it's one of those ones that's not even folded. It's just in the big envelope. And it's from an attorney's office, heavy paper. And it says the, the name of some distant relative of yours has passed away. And, and he wasn't married, had, had no kids. And so as, as the closest living relative, you have inherited, you know, his vast fortune. Let's say $10 million. All you have to do is come down and claim it. Now, if I get that in the mail, to be honest, I'm, I'm probably thinking this is a hoax. This is a scam. And, and as I go to drop it into the trash, as I go to drop it in the trash, I'm like, $10 million? I mean, maybe I just make the phone call, right? Because the offer is so enormous. What it's holding out to you is so incredible that you, you can't not look into it, right? Even if you think there's only a, a slight, remote chance that it's true, you still look into it. There was an old pastor that, that said that this is true of the resurrection as well. That the offer that it makes to us is so fantastic. I mean, life with God, salvation, eternal security, being reunited to God. At the end of time, getting a resurrection body, living on a renewed earth with friends and family and all the believers through all the ages. I mean, that is an incredible offer. You can't not look into it. And so to have doubt is normal, to, to sort of wax and wane, and your faith is normal. What I want us to do this morning is to look deeply at this story, this account from John 20. I want us to actually immerse ourselves in the narrative and to look at these three characters, Mary, M, Peter, and John. To look at these characters and to look at, at Jesus and, and to try to, to grasp and to feel the power of the resurrection this morning. And so it starts in verse 1. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Now this Mary Magdalene, what do we know about her? Who is she? Well, it says in Luke 8 that when she first met Jesus, she was consumed by seven demons. Her life had been one of darkness and torment by these demonic presences. And yet when she met Jesus for the very first time, he cast them all out and she was forever and permanently changed. From that point on, she followed Jesus and the disciples. It says in Luke 10 that she would sit with her sister Mary. We know that or Martha, Martha was the one that was always busy, but it was Mary who could sit in the presence of Jesus and just rest and listen to him teach. Mary would follow Jesus throughout his life, and so imagine the anguish that she's felt over this weekend. Imagine the anguish as she sees her closest friend beaten, accused, hung up on a cross. Her anguish as he breathes his last, and the Roman soldiers poke him with a spear to make sure that he's dead and then take him down 
and bury him. In a single moment, in a single day, she has lost her source of joy and peace, her meaning and purpose in this world. And so on Sunday morning, the third day, Mary and her friends gathered their things and went to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body with spices as was traditional in that custom. It says that they arrived around sunrise. The text says it was still dark. But on arrival, they saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And so terrified and confused, she runs back to town and finds the disciples and tells them what she saw. Verse 3, so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. Now, who is this Peter? What do we know about Peter? Well, Peter's given name was Simon, and Simon was an ordinary guy. He was a fisherman, and one day while he was out fishing, he had spent the entire night fishing with not a single fish caught. A man from the shore calls out to him, have you caught anything yet? Try fishing, try throwing your nets on the other side of the boat. Now, I I make it a point not to give advice when guys are fishing, you know. In general, it's like don't give fishing advice unless you're the son of God. But Peter takes his nets and he throws them out the other side and and he begins to gather in so many fish that the the nets are breaking and another boat has to pull up and they, they bring in this haul of fish. The text says it was 153 fish. Peter comes to the shore and he falls on his knees and he says, my Lord, my God, get away from me. I'm an unclean man. For Peter, one, look at this strange man from Nazareth, and he knew. He knew he was in the presence of someone great. He would realize over time that he was in the presence of the Son of God. But Peter, we know, is not one to hide his thoughts. I mean, he says the most ridiculous things throughout the Gospels. If you remember at the Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John are there. Jesus is transformed in all of his glory. Moses and Elijah are there, and Peter says, Should we build three tents? And the text, like the New Testament actually says, Peter did not know what he was talking about. Like they included that for all time, just to make clear. Peter was doing this stuff all the time. We just want to make sure that that's clear. Later, as they reached the Garden of Gethsemane, as Roman soldiers came to arrest Jesus, Peter leapt up, grabbed a sword, And he went for the smallest soldier. It was actually just a teenager who was carrying the equipment, and he chops his ear off. Jesus, of course, is, you know, rebukes Peter, picks up the boy's ear, puts it back on, and allows himself to be arrested. I mean, on the one hand, you respect the hustle, like a fisherman taking on a Roman battalion of soldiers, you know, but you do have to question the swordsmanship. I mean, how do you get an ear off, you know, with that motion? Peter is impulsive, he's wild, he's bold. But Jesus had said, I will build my church on you. You are the one. The future of the church will rest on you. And yet when Jesus was there on the cross, three times Peter denies even knowing Jesus. Third time was just a child. Peter said, I don't know know who you're talking about. I don't know that man. The rooster crowed, and it says that he went out and wept bitterly. 
And so again, imagine this feeling. This man, Jesus, has changed your life. Your ordinary life has been transformed by the power of God. You've walked with him for three years. You've seen thousands of healings. You've seen him teach. You've seen thousands of encounters and conversations of ordinary people with this man. You've told him, I will never forsake you. And now you've denied him three times. And so now it's Sunday morning and Mary comes banging on the door. Peter jumps up, gets into action. He grabs John, forget the others. They're still sleeping in and they make a break for it. It says in verse 5, When they reached the tomb, the other disciple bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. And so when it says the other disciple, or the disciple that Jesus loved, That's John, the author, referring to himself. He never names himself in his own gospel narrative. But he refers to himself most frequently as the disciple that Jesus loved. And so who is this John? What do we know about him? Well, like Peter, he was part of this inner group of three disciples who had complete access to Jesus. John and his brother James, like Peter, had left everything behind to follow Jesus. In fact, Jesus had given James and John the nickname the Sons of Thunder because they too were so bold and passionate and impulsive. There's a time in the Gospels where the disciples find out that these these other people are doing ministry in the name of Jesus. And John and James says, Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven on them? Jesus is like, have you heard anything I've been saying for these three years? Like to turn the other cheek? Have you been listening at all? John is quick-tempered. He's impulsive. He's an ordinary person. But he refers to himself as the disciple Jesus loved because he had such a friendship with Jesus. At the Last Supper, we see it's John that's reclining on Jesus' shoulder. This John that wrote the Gospel of John, he also wrote three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, all emphasizing the love of God in Jesus. He wrote the book of Revelation at the end of his life where he was exiled on an island for his faith, receiving numerous visions from Jesus and his return. It's because of all this that John has been called the apostle of love. He loved Jesus. He was loved by Jesus. And all of his writings emphasize the love that God has for us. So you might be asking, why spend all this time on Three characters not named Jesus on Easter. And the answer is that this is their story, but it's also our story. They were ordinary people, Mary, Peter, and John. And yet the moment they met Jesus, everything changed. This is a story about you. It's a story about me. These were women and men going about their lives, dealing with frustrating work and the darkness of life in a broken world. But one look from this man, from Nazareth, life would never be the same. And in this moment, as they came together to the tomb, it was a very real and earthy, I mean, powerful moment. At the time, they did not 
know what they were in for. They were not looking or expecting a resurrection. They did not realize that they were key figures in the most important moment in human history. And so the guys head back to town and Mary remains at the tomb, shaken, excited, overwhelmed. It says in verse 11, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. Now, there's a few odd things here, but we have to remember that Mary is in shock. I mean, what she's experiencing is is the fullness of of grief and and overwhelmness. I don't know if you've ever experienced a moment of pure shock. I remember the moment of being told that a loved one had had passed away, just a a wave of darkness and, and almost fainting. Or even at the birth of my three boys, the the sheer joy and terror of the moment, just almost not being able to think of anything else. It's in this moment, this type of moment, that all of our senses are a little bit off. I do find it incredible that Mary looks into the tomb and sees these two angels, these angelic beings of holiness and light and glory. I mean, I think it's every other time in scriptures when somebody sees an angel they just scream out or they pass out or something. But Jesus, when she sees them, it's like, okay, guys, where's Jesus? Okay, okay, angelic beings, cut it out. Where is he? I think of it kind of like Moses, as we saw in the book of Exodus. Once you've encountered the personal presence of God, no substitute, not even an angel will do. Where's Jesus? Verse 14, at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? It could be that she didn't fully face him, or perhaps it was the shock, or it could be that Jesus' identity is momentarily hidden from her. But the moment Jesus speaks her name, Mary, she turns, and now She exclaims, Rabboni, teacher, friend, Jesus. Mary has just been through hell and back, but now everything is going to be okay. And behold the gentleness of Jesus. Behold the risen Lord, the King of kings, smiling and and saying her name. Behold him in that moment saying your name. I don't know if you've thought about this, but Jesus could have risen and come back in any number of ways. He could have come down from the sky on a chariot of fire with all the angelic hosts around him. He could have come back to the temple. He could have like shown up in the middle of one of the religious leaders' meetings. I mean, that would have been awkward for them, right? How does Jesus come back? He goes and sees his friend Mary, calls her by name, and goes and he sees his other friends and the disciples. He returns and he seeks us. I think it's, it has to be humor when Jesus talks to her. I mean, I can't figure it out any other way. 
When he says, who are you looking for? I imagine him in that moment, she is distraught. She's kind of half facing him. And he's like, Mary, who are you looking for? Could you describe him to me? What's he like? Finally, she turns and exclaims and she embraces him. The most important theological book of our generation, the Jesus Storybook Bible, puts it like this. Mary couldn't find Jesus, but it was okay because Jesus had found Mary. And so do you feel this? Do you feel the resurrection? Do you see why the cross was needed, that it was our sins that put Jesus there? It was supposed to be us in that place, taking on the judgment of God, which we deserved for our sins. All of our dark secrets should have been brought out into the light, but instead, Jesus took them. Jesus, the eternal Son of God from heaven, said, they can never keep my law, but I'll go. I'll keep it. They can never bear the full weight of the wrath of God, but I will do it. If they die, they can't rise from the dead, but it has no hold on me. And so the Father sent him. It was his grand vision after all, and Jesus willingly went, the great King, the Eternal One, like a lamb to the slaughter. Why? Because of love. Love for Mary, for Peter, for John, for you, for me. It was the apostle love of love, John, who wrote this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. A final verse of our text says that Mary returns to the city with the news, I have seen the Lord. In that moment, everything changed. Nothing would ever be the same. Their lives would turn and head on a new trajectory. All of world history would turn and move in a new direction. And the love of God for them, for you, for me, it's expressed nowhere more powerfully, nowhere more beautifully than in the resurrection of the Son of God. The stone guarding the entrance of the tomb was rolled away. And in the same way, the gates that guarded the entrance to heaven were swung wide open. At Easter, we joined together, covered by the blood of the Lamb, immersed in the love of the Father, And we say with Mary, behold, we have seen the Lord. Let's pray.